Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Coaching in the Sweet 16 in Madison Square Garden later on this week. The head coach of the Owls, Dusty May from Eastern Green, is back with us again on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I am thrilled, man. Absolutely thrilled. Congratulations. I appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me on again. All right. By the way, too, Greg Doyle referenced you as a fitness guy. Are you a fitness guy? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> at times, at times, I am. I'm pretty inconsistent now in my old age. <laughs> yeah, your old age. <laughs> I think it's, I think that's due to the fact I, I I usually ride my bike to work, so I get a couple miles there, and then I I walk and talk to make my calls. So I guess if that's considered fitness, but I don't think I don't think my heart rate ever gets too high anymore. Are you a cyclist now? No, just just casual. All right. Because we're going to go, I think we're going to play at Southport High School here after I get done here, a little hoop. But I know you're not around and you can't play, but you would if you were here, though, right? You'd play? I would for sure, absolutely. I can't get five to go. He's too big for it. He's too He's too good. <laughs> you mean too big? Too big as in heavy or too big? <laughs> no, too big. Too big as in I'm a better basketball player than you clowns. Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, beyond your wildest dreams – here i mean is it do you pinch yourself a couple of different times knowing where where you have been and where you're going right now with this team yeah it, it you know this morning it, you're so sleep deprived and, and we're traveling and a couple of people calling and you say man this this is real this is happening it's not a dream but um like i've told several people when you're in the eye of the storm you don't have too much time to, to think about it it's it's on to the next thing we've got to prepare for tennessee we've got a lot of things to, to work through logistically and uh, we're in the process of doing all that, so we're excited. But um, I'm sure, I'm sure after the fact, it'll be something we'll really cherish. Yeah, I um, I, I know that you felt that this certainly could have been a goal this season for for this team. There's no doubt about that. But let's double back here for a moment to that Memphis game because uh, I mean it was a draw up at the end. You get that layup and uh, you guys move on. It kind of seemed like that that was I mean, that you have signature moments in tournaments and maybe yours is still to come but that certainly seemed like a signature moment for you and your team and your guys in that moment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, anytime you can win on, on essentially a, a buzzer beater, there's a few seconds left, but anytime you can essentially win on a buzzer beater in the NCAA tournament, uh, I, I would say it solidifies Nick Boyd into one shining moment yeah. and, and all that goes with that. So pretty special moment. But like I said, John, when, when, uh, when you got to turn the page and, and start preparing for another game immediately after, you don't have too much time to, to, to feel great about it. Would you realize that this team could have this type of run, this type of season to this point in them, Doug? Well, obviously, with I think we're at 33 wins, you, you, you never predict that just because it's so hard to win each and every night. A lot has to go right as far as injuries, matchups, timing. And we've been very fortunate this year where our guys have been healthy. We haven't had to, to play guys too many minutes where they've been worn down. 
And our guys genuinely like practice and preparing. So it's, it's been awesome in, in those regards. But it just seemed like last year we invented ways to lose and we still won 19 games. So we, we felt we were on the verge of a breakthrough. Now, we didn't know when that would happen. And, and like I said, you, uh, the, 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 I guess the randomness of winning is always something that, that you know, I look at there. Uh, you know, this year we've had a couple times where, where for example, we're at North Texas and, and we foul – uh, one of their better players, and he misses the front end of, of a one-on-one late in the game. And then we beat them at home when, when Golden, uh, our big center steps up, make two free throws. Where those, I think last year the, the opposition would have definitely made those free throws, and then we probably would have missed a couple free throws. So it's just it's been one of those years where everything, you know, I, I'm not naive to it. Everything has gone really right this year, but these guys deserve this type of success because of how hard they work and, and the amount they've sacrificed for each other. He is a Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. They get Tennessee in the Sweet 16 and Madison Square Garden. He joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, you, you, here's what's funny, too. It's like yesterday, all of a sudden, you guys became kind of the villain playing Fairleigh Dickinson, right? I mean, all of a sudden, the entire yeah. house in Columbus was cheering against you. That uh, y- y- Your team seemed like it hung with it, but was there any like initial kind of shock value to the crowd turning on you? Normally, you guys would be the underdog, but in this case, you weren't with Fairleigh Dickinson. Well, we talked about that uh, obviously going into it. If we if we found well, we we figured against Memphis, we'd be able to get all the casual fans rooting for the underdog, and you know then obviously an eight nine game we weren't it was a I think maybe a one or two point spread, so it wasn't as if we were the Cinderella team. But just the fact that the name recognition and, and the power of Memphis's brand, and to be honest, Memphis was was really underseeded. Their their metrics and everything they they should have been a top five or six seed, but nonetheless. And then so we talked about it. If we were fortunate enough to play Purdue, we felt like with oh, Ohio State fans and, and, and everyone else there that they would be rooting for us and we'd have almost a home crowd. Well, obviously the, the script was, was flipped and FDU, FDU definitely fed off of it. They played in the second half with unbelievable energy and, and it felt like we were in a true road game. Um, and yeah, we, we definitely became the villain somehow, some way. It's, it's odd because our guys are, are, are unbelievable kids, young men. Uh, they're they're great people. They're great citizens. So it was a little bit odd, but that's sports, and uh, you know we'll embrace whatever role we need as long as we find a way to get a win. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, this that would have to be odd, like you said, just all of a sudden knowing that hey, now you're the favorite, and um, yeah, because if uh, again you'd be more expect expecting that uh, they would be uh, rooting for you in some of those moments. John L. Davis is incredible to me, especially down the stretching games. Because he's cool, he's calm, and he's collected. And he, he's got that makeability from distance and on the interior. What makes him a different type of dude, especially late in games for you, Dusty? You said he's got a different look. When, when we're down, he's got a, a level of determination that – man, I haven't seen very often in confidence and focus and just belief that he's going to make it happen. And anytime you have such a versatile game, there are a lot of guys that he needs that need screens to get their threes off or they need a ball screen. He just scores in so many different ways that it's, he's always a tough matchup. You know, for example, he found one possession. He had their point guard on him last night. He goes straight to the block and hits his little left shoulder turnaround jumper. He has a big guy on him in transition. He gives him a little in and out and gets to the rim. Uh, I think he might've even got an and one. So Anytime you can score in the number of ways he can, you're dangerous. But he just has a different look in his eye when the, the, the bigger the moment. Yeah, I would. I, well, and he just looks. It doesn't look like he's sweating out there. Seriously, he just looks that cool. Yeah, 
the, the unique thing about John L is, 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 is since basically ever since he's been playing basketball, and, and we really noticed it this freshman year, if there's a loose ball in his vicinity, uh, you can pretty much book he's going to get nine out of ten at least. We've even we've even uh, been uh, as a staff sitting on the bench during the games, and a ball will squirt free, and we'll say, oh, "Hey, I wonder who's going to get this one," because he gets every single loose ball. He's got a, he's got a, a, a great anticipation and nose for the ball. And he's got incredibly strong hands. You don't see uh, him him get balls ripped out of his hands very often. So Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. It is Tennessee and the Owls coming up from Madison Square Garden. I want to give some love here because I think Giancarlo Rosado has given you tons of great minutes in these first two games. And not to say that he's not capable of it. Um, And I haven't seen every single game this year. But in the last two, he has been there. And you kind of wonder where you guys would have been without what he has done production-wise for you. We'd be back in Boca right now planning for 20 for next season <laughs> if, if it wasn't for the way Giancarlo's played. And that's, that's the, 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 uh, the crazy thing about it, John, is, is Vlad Golden, um, you know, according to a lot of people felt like he was the most impactful big man in our conference. Yeah. And Mike Forrest is a, is a career, whatever, 1,800-point scorer. Neither one of them have played well in the last two or three games up to their standards. And so we still feel like we have a, a much higher ceiling if we can ever really start clicking and getting more guys playing uh, as well as they typically do. So, uh, yeah, but Giancarlo, he's been awesome lately, and he's such a, a, a night, uh, just a, a matchup nightmare because he has guard skills as far as ball handling and passing. And he doesn't shoot threes, but he dribbles and passes like a guard, and he's got a really quick first step. So the the, op, the uh, opponent's starting centers usually have trouble with him because he can get them on the perimeter and drive them and, and, and move them around a little bit. For example, against Memphis, he did a couple of interior spin moves and got shots off and scored. It almost looked like that they were surprised by it. They were like, wait a minute, I didn't expect this from him. Yeah, and, and he does it. He's more aggressive whenever we need it. A lot of times he's a, a pass-first big man, and he really enjoys passing it. But when we're struggling scoring or he's got a matchup he likes, uh, he's pretty crafty around the basket with his spin moves, using the other side of the rim, shot faking. Uh, he's just he's continued to improve really day by day, and uh, he's, he's, he's really changed his body, so he's becoming a better athlete as well. So, like I said, we'd be back in Boca right now if it, if it wasn't for the way Giancarlo's been playing. Now, where are you today? We just flew to New York. Um, our, our band, families, administration, everyone uh, immediately after the game chartered back uh, to Boca. And the team, we would have only been back for one day. So the team, we took a charter flight this morning from Columbus to New York, just got up here. Uh, we're taking the day off practice. Uh, we'll take the guys out to eat. And then tomorrow we'll start in uh, with our Tennessee prep. Do you have to um, re- remind them? at the task at hand at all, like normal coaches would say or coaches might have to do? Or is this the group where you can count on leadership within the team to do that? 100% leadership within the team. These guys were asking for personnel this morning. They were asking for the scout. And obviously the the, the staff, we're, we're always working, the assistants are always working ahead, but we didn't have the final plan done yet. Uh, but the guys were, you know, they're, they're antsy to get started. They, they watch games on their own. They study their numbers. 
they were already talking this morning about how much more physical they need to play against Tennessee than we played the last two games. So it's a team that's, that's very self-motivated. They're driven. Like I said, they, they love in the, the word process is so uh, overused, but they love the process, which means they, they enjoy work. They enjoy practice. They enjoy the weight room. So all the stuff that gives them a competitive advantage, they enjoy doing it. And therefore they put a lot more into it. Dusty May, Florida Atlantic coach joins us. I was going to ask you about some things that you and, and, to this point, too, they thought they could do much better in certain facets of either game in these first two wins for you. What stands out? Well, number one, the ball hasn't been moving as well for us as it has all season. We're one of the better assist teams. I think we're number one or two in our league in assist to turnover ratio. We really move it around. And even Coach Davis, I was talking to him this morning, and he said, and we were talking about our game against them earlier in the year. He said, Dustin, you got to get your guys back to moving it. He said, the way you guys were moving it earlier in the year, it felt like there were eight players out there on offense because you, you would catch up to one. He would drive, kick, drive, kick, drive, kick. So we've got to get back to where we're moving the ball much better. But part of it, too, is the way we're being defended. Teams are staying at home on shooters and forcing us to score uh, in the paint or at the rim. So uh, we've got to do a better job of, of moving off penetration, but also um, we got to knock, we got to shoot it more efficiently. But most importantly, just just we got to probably cut a little bit better, but just be more willing passers and, and, and get into a second or third side or second or third pass quicker. Uh, he is Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned you've talked to uh, some people. Anybody stand out? And I know Mike White, and you, the head coach at Georgia, a guy that you were on his staff at Florida, talk often. Have you discussed the game so far with him? Yeah, actually, I was just I, I hung up with him uh, to, to call in to talk to you, John. So I, I'm going to hit him back in a minute. He watches us closely, and obviously, we work together, so we know each other's teams well. And and him, uh, you know, he's just got a good good pulse of our team. So I ask him what he sees and. Uh, you know, those types of things. And then two of his assistants that used to be on my staff were actually, three of them were actually were at our game yesterday. So they were talking about that experience as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of common uh, commonalities with, with, uh, with Coach White. But, um, yeah, I, I'm always interested to hear what outsiders see because they're not in the foxhole with us. They, they have a completely different perspective. All right. So what do you think about Tennessee so far? I know you gave everybody the day off today, but looking ahead at that matchup, what do you think about uh, the Volunteers from what you know? Well, at times they've been the, the best defensive team in the country, and, and they've been top 10 consistently all year. So, obviously, it's going to be tough to score. It's, gonna, it's hard to get in the paint. It's hard to make threes over their size, length, and physicality. Uh, they asked last night in the press conference immediately after the game uh, what I thought about Tennessee, and I made a joke that we were going to start – we were studying Australian rules football uh, to get ready for the Vols, and, and I guess that, that irritated a lot of people. Just It was a joke and jest about how physical – they are. We're obviously going to have to play lower than them, more leverage than them, and uh, be very, very intelligent as far as being the the aggressor and using our speed, quickness, and, and uh, I guess lack of height to get underneath them because they're huge and they're physical and they're aggressive and they pound the glass. So we've got our hands full. Uh, we got to do a good job, though, of not getting broken down, keeping bodies on bodies so we have a chance to rebound. Yeah, you know, people thought that maybe they would struggle. Obviously, they, they had a significant injury, but uh, it, it appears that they yeah, they've just kind of raised their level of play even since that SEC tournament. You know, and they did struggle a little bit immediately after Ziegler tore his ACL. I think they, they lost three games maybe uh, short, within the the, next, the first couple weeks. But I think now they've been able to settle into rotation. They're finding their rhythm. And so they've, they've kind of, you know, after hitting that little valley, they've, they're finding their stride again. And, and, man, they're playing good basketball now. 
Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> Cannot wait to watch it. I was curious. Um, I, I could almost look where you were saying no, no, no. What'd you tell Elijah Martin at the end of the game? You know, I, I obviously wish he wouldn't have done it, just because I don't want him. I don't want a, a wonderful human being, anyone to have a negative right. perception of a wonderful young man. I mean, he's he's got one of the, the best hearts of anyone I've ever been around. He's a caring person. He comes from a great family. So, just the fact that people would judge him. And, you know, not to make an excuse for him, but if he had to do all over again, he would dribble the clock out without a doubt. And it's a teachable moment. But it's, it's you know, we have an opportunity to go to Sweet 16. You watch yep. these guys now, and they dunk in warm-ups. They dance coming in, into timeouts. It's not something that, that we grew up doing or that I would do now if I was playing, I don't think. But it is part of the culture of the game. And, and these guys, they are – they look at themselves as entertainers. They have a brand. They have these other things. So – he definitely didn't mean to rub it in. The ball was pitched ahead. He's probably done that a thousand times in his life, just not in that situation. And I guess it's just the culture of, of American basketball where we feel like that's disrespectful. I, on the other hand, if that happened to me, I would have no issue with it. But it's, it's all just it's, – it's opinion. I wish you wouldn't have done it. I'm, I'm sorry that it did, um, and, and it won't happen again. I thought I saw you over there going, no, 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 like that. And <laughs> yeah. But listen, I mean, it's the first – it's the first two wins of the NCAA tournament ever. You guys are going to the Sweet 16. And I thought John L., when he was doing his interview, said it right. He goes, I just I haven't done this very much. So, you know, bear with us. I, I get it. I completely get it. Even if I didn't, didn't know you. This is all uncharted waters for us as a program. Uh, obviously, making the tournament one time in the history of the school, having zero postseason wins ever. That's including NIT, CIT, CBI everything so without a doubt we probably got lost in the moment a little bit uh, but like I said I'm, I'm more concerned with the perception of Elijah Martin because like I said I, there, there can't be a better human being playing college basketball right now yeah well it looked like you were apologizing to uh what Tobin Anderson over there too so you know yeah, and, and, and apparently one of our players had, had made uh had said something to their bench related to the the comments that were on social media the day of the game and we don't like to put a lot of that stuff on social media because it's it's in-house and, and whatnot uh, but something was said I guess the coach was upset about it and I explained to them that hey I don't like our guys talking to your bench but I mean at the end of the day there's probably been 20 to 30 players talk trash to our bench this year and I never started yelling at their coach or the other bench so um, <laughs> you know I, I, I told them I apologize for it but we'll get it fixed and it, it won't happen again man you're calm cool collected over there too no wonder you try to be yeah you don't make much – no, you don't uh, – I think there was one time maybe yesterday where you were mad about a non-foul call or something and you got you got a little emotional, a little demonstrative. But other than that, you're pretty collected over there on the bench. Yeah, I try to. I, I know my first couple of years I was probably much more demonstrative towards the officials and, and I don't think it helped. Um, it probably just annoyed them more than anything else. And then as far as – uh, with our players, if, if it's not if I if I feel like I'm not helping them be better, then I try to stay away from doing it, even if it makes me feel better. Um, so it, I've spent a lot of time trying to, to decide how I'm going to respond to certain things before they happen. And and I thought the best way for me and our guys, because of the way they respond to my negativity, is to not be negative, um, unless it's just the the right time. So um, yeah, it's very intentional to to not. Uh, get in our players way of, of trying to be successful you constantly evolving as a coach do you learn things every time you go out there things you shouldn't do things you should do and then kind of evolve as those things i'm sure change or adjust as normally they would 
hundred percent. There's not a day that goes by that we can't, we're not searching for a better way to do things and learn something from who we're playing or who we saw. For example, uh, Todd Abernathy on our staff, he had the Purdue scout and he, he did the, the entire scout preparing for them. So when things slow down, probably a day or two after we get done, I'll meet with him and figure out what we can learn through how, you know, what they did with Edie, what worked well against them, what didn't, just so we can learn uh, how, to, how to do better with our big guys, how to be better, how to put them in better position, but also how to defend a guy like that uh, in a system like that as well. So without a doubt, we're always just working, trying to evolve, trying to improve a little bit, and then you just hope over time uh, you, can, you can put your guys in the, in the best possible situation Situation day in day out. Todd Abernathy obviously is a, a local name that is recognized here. The son of of Tom Abernathy. How'd your relationship evolve with him to becoming an assistant on your staff? Long, long story, John. He actually came to our camps at Indiana when I was running the camps, and and uh, one year I can't remember which recruiting class we didn't have a scholarship, and I and and we tried to get him to walk on for a year. And then was going to, you know, basically he'll earn one after one year. But uh, he, he wanted to, to go on scholarship. And at that point, he was recruited by mid-majors. He waited till spring of his senior year and ended up coming down to either Memphis with Coach Calipari or uh, Ole Miss and Rod Barnes. And he ended up going to Ole Miss, had a great career, played professionally. And then he was an assistant at Ole Miss when I was at Florida. So we always, you know, we had mutual friends. We had mutual connections. And, um you know, so the, the relationship just grew from there, and obviously him being uh, from Indiana and, and, and Tom Abernathy's son, we share a lot of the same traits. So um, it was a natural fit when, whenever uh, we, we were able to bring him on staff. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, great local connection right there, too. And by the way, speaking of local, it seems like that there was quite a bit of GC going on in Columbus <laughs> over the weekend, too. So I know Ann is keeping track of the tickets. And it's handling all. Yeah, I'm, I'm like she's she's been a, a, it's been a blessing her handling all the logistical stuff just so we, so I could focus on the team and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I couldn't believe all the people that were there. I was bumping into relatives in the hotel that I didn't even know was coming to the game. So it, it was pretty cool. But uh, when like I said, when you're in the eye of the storm, you you don't yeah. have a whole lot of time to hang out and socialize. So I'm just glad that we're able to share this experience with, with so many people that um, have been a lot, you know, been have helped in so many ways. And 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 then I know a lot of people we're proud of our guys well you sure as hell can't trust fabio to do it so i, I get <laughs> why anna's in charge of it fabio i don't know what he'd be doing with it so he'd be in trouble. i think he's in the weight room he was in the uh, the marriott weight room most of the time <laughs> is he is he running or lifting what's he doing <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely lifting weights. I think Fabio. you don't get a nickname like Fabio unless you're moving. Oh, he's uh, yeah, he's got to keep that thing. Hey, man, uh, honestly, very happy, very proud of you. Keep this thing going. Coming up on Thursday night, you are going to be coaching in the Sweet 16 at Madison Square Garden. That is absolutely spectacular, man. Well done, just well done, and keep it going. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Stay in touch, man. Yep. Thanks. The head coach of Ball State, friend of the show, Michael Lewis, joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Are you out and about? No, I'm in the office. In, in the, the office, office watching uh, Transfer Portal film. Exciting stuff today. How many names are in the Transfer Portal right now? Well, I think it's been open a week um, now, and there's over 600 names. So That's incredible. That, uh, no, I, I'm glad that you brought that up first. Give me, <laughs> give me the effect that that has on you 
and your program, and then you know talk about how it affects absolutely everybody, both good and bad, in your estimation. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think you know for for us, I think we got to learn how to navigate it to best um, <clears throat> build a roster here at at Ball State to. Um, be competitive year in and year out. And when I mean that, like, okay, we won 20 games this first year is a great first year. Like we need to continue to build on that. So how can we use the portal to help our program improve? And then, you know, conversely, like we, you know, Peyton Sparks went in the portal and, you know, I look at that from a standpoint of, you know, he, he's had a dream to play at the highest level of college basketball since he was a little kid. And, and, uh, you know, he expressed that, you know, he, you know, he grew up obviously in Indiana and, and, uh, you know, has watched the big 10 and, you know, that's always been appealing to him. And part of our job, I think at our level, just as, as, you know, it was at other places where, you know, you try to help a kid become a professional and reach their highest level. Like, um, you know, I think, um, Peyton feels like we, you know, over this year, like hopefully we've done our job as coaches and gotten him better to the point that he can chase his dream and we've got to be able to to support that so i think um there's a lot of good and bad in it i think each each situation is is um of its own um but we got to figure out how to use it best uh for ball state so we're in there looking for for players that fit our program and then obviously we've got somebody in there that we're trying to help um chase their dream of, of playing college basketball at the highest level hey, he's 13 and a half and nearly nine rebounds per this past season how difficult is that going to be to replace for you and trying to track that down? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, anytime you get that type of production, I think it's going to be difficult. But the, there's also guys in the portal that that have you know similar numbers, and so uh, we got to do what's best for Ball State and get guys that fit what we're trying to do. And um, you know, I, I think the thing that it has hurt the most is maybe high school recruiting. You know, I think the combination of the portal um, and the COVID, the extra COVID year that some of these guys are getting. Um, you know, it, it basically skipped a, it, it adds backed up a whole class of, of recruits. And so, you know, it's, it's difficult um, at any level you know, to transition from high school to college um, to make that adjustment. Um, and now you, you got teams that can come in and instead of taking an 18 year old, they can take a 22 year old that's played three or four years of college basketball, um, you know, to fill a gap. And so I think it's just kind of caused a log jam, um, you know, in the whole recruiting process. And then, um, you know, just just having that number of, of, of players available to programs and, um, you know, guys are just trying to, you know, stockpile talent on a roster. And you're, you're not really trying to build a program anymore. You're trying to, um, you know, construct the best roster you can year in and year out to compete for your, your university. Yeah, that's that's going to be so different. If, if you had if you had your voice to be heard to make up rules that you think would be better for how to deal with this. I'm yeah, assuming you know, you're a smart guy from Dubois County. There, I know you got the smarts yeah, real right, good right. from Jasper. Uh, <laughs> you you have anything in mind, designs in mind that would be better suited for everybody? Not everybody's going to be happy with anything. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, you know, it's that's 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 hard to say. Like you know, like you know, because we're we're looking on both ends of it. We're like we're looking at the portal to uh, advance our program, and we're also um, you know got you know a really productive player in the portal that's looking to um you know advance himself and, and i think you know we got to support both of those like i you know i'm not angry you know at Peyton sparks for his decision you know that's like i said i think that's part of our job is helping him get to where he wants to go um 
and I don't know what the right answer is. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of things in, in college basketball, college athletics that are happening right now that, um, you know, I think should have been in place a long time ago. I think some, but I also think some of them, you know, could can affect our game uh, in a negative way. And, um, you know, not not everybody in college athletics is the same. You know, there's you've got football and you've got men's basketball and you've got everybody else. And, and yet we've got um, a system in place that wants to treat us all the same. And it's it's just not, um, you know, how, how it is. Like this is um, this is a business, you know, I, however you want to cut it up. It, it's a business. Like all you have to do is look at what's going on uh, right now with the tournament. Like, you know, it's a business and there's a there's a lot of money involved. And uh, so there's a lot of different decisions that go into play that, you know, you know, just just let's admit what we are and try to try to do what's best for the student athletes because it, they only they only got one chance to do this. It's uh, Michael Lewis with us. By the way, Dane Fife has told me many times to bring you on the show and call you Dennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is that him being a jerk, or do you want to be known as Dennis? Should I just call you Dennis yeah. from now on? No, I mean I've been called Michael my whole life, so you know that's that's what happens when you're uh, when you're college teammates and you travel together and. and uh, you know, official documentation gets on with passports and driver's licenses and things like that. So, what's Fife's uh, middle name? I don't know. Never really bothered me. Never seemed. Never really <laughs> crossed my mind why I should ever care. So, you know, but you never I, thought you'd be in this position, sitting at your desk, looking over a transfer portal footage, yeah. talking on a radio show, yeah. and being asked that. So, yeah. Nor, nor I mean, why? Why would Fife ever be concerned with that either? But you know, obviously, it's something for him. <laughs> He's, he's, it's always something for him. <laughs> always something for him, for sure. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, the differences, and in, in obviously you saw so much with, with Mick Cronin and UCLA in, in years past here. The differences you see from a conference season and playing well in the conference season compared to all of a sudden going to the NCAA tournament. How big of a difference in play, style of play, is that from what you have seen? What is it best suited for teams to stick to their principles, run their offenses? I always think about getting out at times and getting easy scores. So if it's in the flow of the game and it's outside of the offense, that's okay. Is that reasonable or is that just me not knowing what I'm talking about? Well, I, I think um, when you get in a tournament situation, like you're you're a bad game from going home. Um, you know, you're you're a lack of attention to detail from from going home. And I, you know, I, I don't think that um, when you enter the tournament, you all you just try to become somebody you're not. Like you are kind of who you are. You've played 31, 32, 35 games. You know, for some of these teams, uh, you kind of are who you are. And so you try to. Uh, impose your strengths into the game, whatever those strengths are, and you you try to make your opponents defeat you by doing something other than their their strengths. Um, you know, obviously, you get in those high level games. Um, you know, I know when 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 we made our Final Four run a couple years ago. Um, you know, we we got there by taking a lot of really difficult two point pull up jump shots because of the opponents that we were playing. That's what that led to was. Um, but luckily, we had guys that could do that. Um, and so you, you know, you, you get in those hard shots or, uh, you know, good shots are really difficult to, to get, um, in high level games. You know, the athletes are good. The scouting reports are, are too good. Uh, and you kind of know what everybody's doing by the time you get to this, this point in the year. And so, you know, I think you got to take the, the shot that, 
that uh, presents itself um, the most. And, and whether that's in transition or in your offense, um, you've got to try to impose impose your strengths. But I don't think you just try to recreate yourself in the postseason. I, I think you're, you know, one, I think you, you show your team uh, a real lack of confidence in who you are and what got you to that point. Um, and it's just, you know, that's not – it's not going to work. So I think you just try to, to be who you are, but just try to be the best version of yourself. You know, I don't think you start changing a bunch of things um, once you get to postseason play. It's uh, Michael Lewis, the head coach of Ball State's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon. A couple of years ago, Lucas Oil Stadium, national semifinal. Uh, it was fantastic. UCLA and Gonzaga a couple of years later. You're a Muncie, but uh, Coach Mick and TJ Wolf and the gang get Gonzaga coming up here this weekend, actually on Thursday night, I believe that it is, in uh, the Sweet 16. Um, obviously, besides the talent on the floor, because some of that has exited to the NBA, give me some differences and some similarities of that matchup. Well, I mean, I think for Gonzaga, they're missing two, you know, pros, you know, in, in the backcourt. Um, and, you know, I think that's, you know, I think Gonzaga's a really good team this year, but I, I think from an overall talent standpoint, they're missing that, um, you know, that lottery pick, that first round draft choice. You know, I'm not sure they have that in, in their backcourt this year. Um, you know, our, <clears throat> the UCLA team is, um, you know, I, it, you know that, that was a team that I thought really the last month of the season um, was playing as well as anybody in the country. And, and then the injury to, to Jalen Clark um, happened. But I think in that absence, you've seen, um, you know, a, a freshman, a very talented freshman, and Amari Bailey really kind of, you know, go to another level and and provide them with some, uh, you know, a little bit more offensive spark. Um, but they're missing, you know, Jalen's defensive presence, and then you know how healthy is Adem Bona on the inside because he's obviously a, a great presence on the interior from a defensive standpoint. But um, you know, I, I just obviously, um, you know, my heart is is in uh, with UCLA in this deal and. And uh, it'd be, you know, I can't wait to watch them play and, and really excited for them. And, uh, you know, I hope that they, they can make another run and get back to another Final Four. But, I, you know, three consecutive Sweet 16s is uh, really, really, really impressive. Yeah, this is so fun to watch. They, they still are fun to watch. And... They just, you know, they just compete. They just play so hard. Like, I think, you know, I think, you know, Jaime, you know, is, is uh, you know, exactly the type of guy that you want um you know, from a college player, you know, today, like he's, he's been there four years. Like he's, you know, he's, he's won a ton of NCAA tournament games. Like there, obviously there's one thing missing, um, you know, which, you know, that's, that's how you're judged out there in in Westwood and, and, uh, you know, Tiger Campbell's had an outstanding career. They just yeah. got a bunch of really good, um, you know, basketball players and really good dudes out there. Yeah, guards in control. You saw that with, uh, what's his name? Noel of Kansas state yesterday, guards yeah. in control. And, yeah, you, you see that with Tiger Campbell. That, that has been just a constant for that team, and certainly something well, you'd see a bunch of. Yeah, I mean, guard. I mean, this is you know, basketball is you got to have some perimeter skills. Like even if you're a, a post player these days, like just the way the game is is evolving, like you you've got to have um, you know some some perimeter skills. And and I think you you know you saw it last night with with Miami and, and IU. Like they just had no answer for the 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 number of different guards that could attack, you know, Indiana, like Miami just went right at them and they, you know, just, you know, just couldn't, couldn't keep them in front. And then you're in rotations, giving up open shots. And then you're out of position from a blockout standpoint. Um, you know, this is the guard, the guard play is, is, uh, is huge uh, in the postseason. 
Yeah, you saw that Purdue and and Fairleigh Dickinson too going back to Friday, and you know I, I mentioned this earlier. Purdue turned it over 16 times and shot 19 percent from three point range. I, I, that the, when your turnovers approach that number of your percentage shooting threes, then that's going to be a struggle. I don't know who you beat. Yeah. Well, you 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 know you get you know you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids. You know you still got to remember that. You know, and, and you got to can you know remind yourself of what you're dealing with, and you're you're a bad you're a bad day, a bad game from going home, and and uh, sometimes they can just come at an inopportune time, like you know that happens at the end of January. Okay, you lose at Penn State. Okay, well you live and play another day. You know that happens in in March. You know mid to late March, your season ends. You know it, it, it's really no no different, but um, you know that's that's also what makes the NCAA tournament so exciting. Hey, can I put video footage of me in the transfer portal? Yeah, good luck with that. You know, there's yeah, good luck with that. Could I though? You know, I've got some footage I, of me. You know, I think I think you know with the number of guys in there, I think you can probably you can get maybe we bring back Ivan Rinko. Remember Ivan Rinko? <laughs> Remember Ivan Rinko? <laughs> get Ivan Rinko in the transfer portal. He'll get a few phone calls. I promise. Man, I'm just kind of curious if my phone would ring. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I got some good footage of me right there at Center Grove shooting from the volleyball line. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Hey, I'm happy for you. You had an outstanding first year in Muncie, man. Outstanding 20-win season. Well done. Well, I appreciate it. We had a good group of guys that, that um, you know, that really kind of embraced, um, you know, what we, what we were trying to to get in place from from day one and and it was great watching them you know experience some success i think you know across the board it was the best college team that any of these guys had had been on and and i think um you know able to kind of reestablish some pride in in, uh in ball state across the state from an alumni standpoint and obviously created a lot of excitement here on campus and in muncie i think a great uh, first step for where we want to take uh our basketball program so you know i i said it all the time i said it in the media ton um, you know, like I, there's no reason we can't have a good program here at Ball State, and I think we took a big step there. And I think, um, you know, the state of Indiana, you know, with their, you know, their love for the game, like they deserve good basketball programs in their state, and we're just trying to, trying to do our part and and put one here in Muncie. Man. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, fantastic first year up there. I'm very happy for you. You know that. Whenever you need anything, you let me know. And uh, give my best to the family, too. Don't be a stranger. Get down here sometime, hang out a little bit. Absolutely. But you're not looking at film. And if you come across film of me in there, I'll give you a call. Give me, give me a call. That'd be great. <laughs> you know, that's a good character builder for me. I can take on a charity case or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. I appreciate you more than you know, man. Stay in touch. All right. Thank you. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from the morning show, Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. in the morning. It is Jake Query. Hello, Jake. You know one thing? Uh, people, I think, have so been so bitter and have such a thirst for winning around here, which has not been prevalent. Purdue in the regular season, Big Ten Conference Tournament, okay. But it's always with winning around here, seemingly one step forward and two steps back. And I can understand the anger that people are, I mean, all the way around from IU to Purdue and what happened this weekend to the Colts and the Pacers. I mean, it's it's been a while around here, hasn't it? It has. And, you know, Purdue's an interesting case because the expectations for Purdue at the end of the year were expectations that almost entirely were because 
of the creation of Purdue's season and what no one expected them to be at the beginning of the year. So it's kind of a yin and a yang. I mean, you want to hold it against them that they were a number one seed and they, you know, they got obviously pretty inexcusable to lose to a 16. But, but at the beginning of the year, if I would have said to you like, Hey, Purdue's going to win, you know, 20 plus games, be win the big 10 by multiple games, win the big 10 tournament, be a number one seed. You'd be like, yeah, sign me up. I'll take whatever happens in the tournament. But then it gets there, and, you know, it's a different story. And, and for Indiana, I think, you know, it's like my buddy Mike Byron always says to me when it comes to IU basketball, he's like, look, man, I'm done believing in fairy tales, right? I mean, Indiana – and I think Mike Woodson's done a good job of getting them in the right direction, and certainly they're in a better place than where they were three or four years ago. But, you know, Miami was really good. And Miami um, last night absolutely played at a tempo and a pace that, that completely rattled Indiana. And Indiana looked like they had – no interest in being there for the last five minutes of that game. Let, let me ask you this, John. Tempo and pace. I want you to get back to tempo and pace in a moment, though, because yeah. that's what unraveled both IU and Purdue. Tempo no, and right. pace this I, weekend. Get back to that in a second, but go ahead with what okay. you were talking about. Well, do you, okay, who is the guy? There's an actor. He's a character actor. He played Francis in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He plays the guy that, that has the battle over the, the last Bobka with Seinfeld. And the and and then he's the guy in Teen Wolf. He's the the chubby dude on the Teen Wolf team. You know what I'm talking about? I think he also played um, John Wayne Gacy, didn't he? I think <laughs> in a <laughs> film. <laughs> okay, that, that deviates a bit from the other role. <laughs> John, but, yeah, but uh, I think uh, I think um, yeah. Well, think... so that dude, so that dude on Teen Wolf, yeah. And then the Philip Seymour Hoffman character that is playing pickup basketball in the park with Ben Stiller in a long game poly. Which of the two of them has the better shot than Tamar Bates? Because it's one of the two, right? Well, Mark Holton Mark Holton is the guy, by the way, that okay. you're looking well, for. Francis. That, yeah. At this point, I would take either one of them playing the two than Tamar Bates for Indiana. That dude was 0 for 13 in the tournament. He looks like a brontosaurus on roller skates. And he was completely out of control, I thought. And But the thing that's interesting is when you look at a Miami, you, you look at the pace they play, and, and it, as a viewer, it makes you nervous. I mean, it's like it, it, it totally takes you out of your rhythm. And, you know, my, every time that Indiana tried to make a run, I mean, when Indiana came back and took the lead early in the second half, you're thinking, okay, I thought it was going to be like Mackey Arena's game all over again where it was like okay they got down early they kind of weathered the storm they took the lead and now they're just gonna build on it and Miami came right back and Indiana at that point they folded they flat out folded they looked like they they, you know Purdue looked like they were the fans that were looking at the clock going this isn't really happening is it and Indiana looked like a group that's like I don't know what's happening I just know I don't want to be a part of it it was disappointing on both counts. By the way, Chubby, Mark Holton and Teen Wolf, he could knock down a jump shot and at the same time eat a payday during the game. So that was pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, and the basketball was so realistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had, I had, uh, what's his name, Mick. I think it's something Arnold on the actor that played Mick. And we got into the conversation, this is like years ago, about Teen Wolf and um, we were talking about basketball, and he said, you know, what's interesting about that is I had never played a game of basketball in my life, and I thought, yeah. Really? <laughs> you don't say. 
<laughs> you know the entire staff know the entire cast of a season on the brink. <laughs> oh, you, you laugh because it does hurt. I want to get back to IU with you in a second. But you talk about speed and tempo, um, all of which just really crushed Purdue on Friday, even against a team like Fairleigh Dickinson, who didn't even win their own league. They backed into that, uh, finishing second to Merrimack, who was not – able to play Division One going into the NCAA tournament just yet. I shouldn't say Division One, but not able uh, to go in the NCAA tournament just yet. So you look at it that way. I, like, everybody's screaming for Matt's job, and I know everybody is mad about it. That's not the solution. The solution is going to lie what type of backcourt in the future, especially, he can put together. And, Jake, let me tell you this. If you turn it over 16 times and you shoot 19% from three-point range, if those numbers are that close, you're not going to beat anybody. You're just not. That's totally correct. Um, I understand the frustration with the way things have gone for Purdue. I do. And I understand the impatience with three years in a row becoming obviously, you know, not an anomaly but a pattern. I do have a great deal of respect for Matt Painter. I think he is not only a very good basketball coach, I think he's an outstanding representative of the university and the way that if I was a booster or an alum or a fan of Purdue that I would want them represented. That said, I I do feel like late in that game, the thing that's bewildering to me is that I know Matt Painter knows the game of basketball and more than I do. But it seemed like schematically they got away from in the last five or six minutes what would have been able to allow them. Because you're thinking to yourself, okay, they're they're not going to blow these guys out at this point. Just survive in advance, right? Survive, regroup, and advance. And not getting the ball into Zach Eady. And I get the fact that that Fairleigh Dickinson did a really good job of, you know, basically doubling him, bordering, tripling him, and just saying, okay, let Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith and Mason go, you guys shoot, beat us that way. And it's not Matt Painter's responsibility that those guys weren't knocking down shots. But it probably is his responsibility to then make alterations as to where the ball is going and what their sets are designed to do. All of that said, I think what what Matt Painter needs to assess, John, in my opinion, is I think Purdue has masterfully figured out the blueprint on being – a competitor every year for the big league, the big 10 league title and playing that style of play better than the other teams in the league. The problem is for the most part, all of the teams in the big 10 play the same style of play. And it's a style of play that is not really replicated by most power schools in the country. So at the beginning of the year, I think that Purdue got a really good resume built and probably a falsified identity of national competitiveness based on the fact that Zach Eady had improved so much that people didn't know how to guard Purdue in November and December. And then once they got that blueprint and kind of figured it out, I think Purdue didn't have to make a lot of tweak because in the first go round of the big 10, they, you know, kind of dominated everybody. And then everybody figured out how to make adjustments and Purdue down the stretch, truth be told from February, mid February on was a good team, but not an elite team. And I don't know that they made the proper adjustments to change the way that they played because the way they play is a blueprint on how to win the Big Ten, but not necessarily on how to transfer that 
into winning against varying styles from varying leagues. And that's the thing that Matt Painter is going to have to figure out and make adjustment to. And I'm confident he can do it because I think he's a very good coach. But I get also why Purdue fans at this point would be like, that's wonderful, but I'm out of patience. I get it. However, Micah Shrewsbury is a wonderful coach at Penn State. But outside of that, I mean, who realistically are you going to get there? I think Matt Painter is still one of the 10 to 15 best coaches in college basketball. And if people want to come after me for that, that's cool. I get it. But I have a great deal of respect for him. Jay Quay, the morning show with us. I mentioned this regarding offense. And this is just my novice opinion, especially in, in terms of which it changes from the Big Ten to once you get into the NCAA tournament. I think that, and I think we've seen this with uh, Michigan State, too, and, and Dane was on here earlier. I should have probably asked Dane, not on the show, but at least in studio for the midday show. Uh, teams that can run an offense, that's great, and run their offense, run their stuff, that's fantastic. But when you can also free flow and run and you know play that style of basketball too while also you know sticking to your principles offensively speaking you know and running your stuff i i think that's what best benefits the tournament because when you get out and run you can find ways to get easy baskets or easier baskets and easier looks like with purdue everything is in the half court and everything seems like it's excruciatingly hard, or at least it felt that way on Friday. And you watch all these other teams, they're getting up and down the floor, and again, they're making shots, which makes any offense look great. But the free flow that's outside of the offense of what you normally do, I think that that is what helps teams you know, advance in this tournament helps teams end up winning games in this tournament. And I think sometimes you get a team that's kind of stuck in, in their principles and their ways, and that's where it can really burn you. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think also, you know, Purdue is a lot like, you know, Purdue is basically saying like, we're going to do what we do and we're just going to do it until someone figures out how to stop us from doing it. And I think teams figured out how to stop them from doing it, and they didn't properly adjust to it. You know, the, the interesting thing to me is if you really look at the guards, the guard problems for Purdue and Indiana, the compromise is kind of in the middle. And by that, I mean Braden Smith, at the beginning of the year, I was one of those that was like, hey, Indiana can have their five-star McDonald's All-American out-of-market point guard that's going to the NBA next year. Because Purdue just found another four-year guy that is smarter than everybody on the floor as a, as a, as a player and is a bulldog. And Braden Smith's going to be a fine player. But he was not fine in the first round of the tournament. He looked totally in over his head. He had seven turnovers. He didn't shoot the ball well. Same with Lawyer. Didn't shoot the ball well at all the last six weeks of the season. On the other hand, you have Indiana with Jalen hood Shafino, who clearly has the skill set clearly has the potential, and that potential is going to get him drafted in the first round, probably in the first 20 picks, because he's shown enough flashes of it. But he also lacks the consistency that you would want with that comes with that skill set. And a lot of that probably just comes with age. But so on Indiana's hand, you have a guy that does have the ability in open space to be able to dictate pace and score in the mid-range game. And on Purdue's hand you have a guy that wants to slow it down and and be crafty and figure out where the ball needs to go but both of them hit the skids 
heading into the tournament, which is the absolute worst time to do it because you have to have good guard play. And neither team, John, has the depth in backcourt to be able to offset an off night from those two guys. And it sank both clubs. Yeah, well, and they both have styles of play. In this case, relying upon you know somebody in the half court you know, dumping it inside and making a move and going to the glass like that. And you look around and they may be the only two teams that play that way. Yeah. I mean, that, that may, that may be it. So I, and I want to get back to the Purdue thing because again, this is my novice opinion on it. And I know that you want to run an offense because you've had success in it. I don't know how you end up pushing tempo very much with Edie, and it's not because he's slow. I'm not saying that. It's because you do still want to stick with the principles of getting him the ball in the half court. That does kind of defeat the purpose. But I just think you got to, in this tournament, find the occasional easy basket. And when you score 58 points and you struggle shooting the ball as they did, it was few and far between. And you even go back to last year, Jake. What was the the big criticism of that team last year? It was when Jaden Ivey goes to work, everybody kind of stands around and watches. So you've got like different – they need to be somewhere in the middle there, if you know what I mean. They need to be somewhere in the middle. That's, I think, what he needs to find. I wish I had an answer for him. I'd give it to him, and he'd probably laugh. But I, I just um, – I don't know what that that answer is. I just I know this that teams that normally advance find ways to score some easy baskets and then make plays when you need to make those plays. That's what sets you apart. It just has been that game on Friday was just so difficult for Purdue to score, and it can't be that. I mean, beyond your shooting numbers, it just can't be that. I also think that John. The thing for Purdue fans, and Indiana fans too, that also adds sting to it. This is a unique tournament this year. You know, when you look at it, and I, and I realize that Houston's really good, and UCLA is really good, and Alabama in particular is really good. But by just perception and the eye test, when you look at the bracket and you look at the remaining teams, and there's no Kentucky, and there's no Duke, and there's no North Carolina who wasn't even in the tournament, and there's no Arizona, and there's no Kansas, and so it's the, and there's no Baylor, and there's no Marquette. It feels like it was wide open, and it feels like if if even with the flaws that we're talking about for either team, in the eyes of a fan, they're thinking to themselves because I did it. My trust me, man, my entire life, I I'm still mocked. Linda McQuiston, my freshman year English ex teacher at North Central High School, every time I see her, says to me. Did you pick Indiana for the Final Four again? Because I picked them for the Final Four in 88, and they lost to Richmond. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm telling you, like the bracket was going to open up for them because that's what happens when you're a fan. And I think fans look at this bracket, John, and it is it is an added gut punch because it feels wide open. Half the teams in this bracket, I told Bowen this morning, look like it's the college football expanded playoffs, right? I mean, Texas and Tennessee and – Alabama, I mean, you know, you don't have the blue bloods in there, man. It just feels like this was the year that was right for somebody to come in and steal it. Yeah, well, that's why I picked Gonzaga, too, because Gonzaga's not nearly as good as they have been, and, you know, they're back again in the Sweet 16 for, what, the eighth consecutive time? I I still laugh when people call them chokers, too. I laugh when they're called chokers. And and that is, I don't care what anybody says. I know they play in the West Coast Conference. That is a college basketball blue blood, is it not? They're a blue blood. 
they are, no question. Now, somebody asked me this question, and I should have asked this this morning on the air, and I forgot to, so I'll ask you just for people to ponder. I think it's a great question. Would you rather be Purdue, who gets a number one seed and gets beat by a 16 seed and becomes kind of the giggling stock of the country, or would you rather have a year like North Carolina did where you are the preseason number one and miss the tournament? I don't think in any way, shape, or form, especially with their recent history, that you want what Purdue was served on Friday. Okay. You don't want that. You do not want that. That That is the last thing that any of them needed. Ow. It's, yeah. And it's, I, I mean, mi- it. Missing, it is, missing it is one thing. It's, you know, but this. I get it. I get it. Like, you know, here's what's funny about what you're saying, too. Like, like missing it, missing it would be like grounds for dismissal, right? Because you're missing it. You didn't win your tournament. You didn't win your league. You're not winning, so you missed it. That's grounds for dismissal. Um, to me, what he has done is not grounds for dismissal, but it is worse considering the history that they have in that tournament. Yeah, I mean, you know, the precedent, I mean, and look, I think it's a fair question of, like, how does Purdue psychologically bounce back from this? I don't know that it has the long-term effect on Purdue and that we will know that until next tournament, where if they're playing all of a sudden, they're in the opening round and they're playing Coppin State and they're down three with four minutes to go, you know, is it pucker time again? Now, you know, Virginia lost to UMBC and they got blown out. Like when Virginia was the first number one seed and the only other number one seed to lose to a 16, they got run off the floor. But they came back the next year and won the national championship. So you saw, you know, it didn't affect Virginia, but it remains to be seen how it's going to affect Purdue. And, you know, I think it's probably realistic that Zach Eady's not one. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I, I don't know what Zach Eady's going to do. I, I think he will explore. If I'm Zach Eady, I explore coming out probably because it's like, well, how is your stock going to be any higher? And I don't even know that he's a drafted player at this point, but he could make some money playing somewhere next year. And if I'm Zach Eady, I'm going, I, look, are they going to get me any more help? Because, I mean, Roosevelt. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, I, and, know. And this is just me here. I don't know how any of those guys – that can come back wouldn't because you don't want to go out like that. That's that make it easy. It's easy for me to say right here, Mister. Got no, you know, monetary stake in the game. Easy right, for me to say, and I realize that. But I, there is no way in the world if you're competitive with that group, you want to go out like that. Didn't Zach Eady infer midway through the year this year that he was disappointed by the NL NIL money that he had so far? I thought I'd heard that somewhere. I, I don't remember not, it, not but a, you might be right. Not in an overly rude way, but, but you know, if and I don't know. I, I don't think Zach Eady is – certainly he's not a first-round pick. I don't know that he's a drafted player in the NBA. But I do think that he'd probably get opportunity. But if he doesn't, he certainly could play in Europe and make good tax-free money without risk of, you know, getting injured and losing out on any revenue whatsoever. So I, you'd have to explore it if you're happy. Yeah, it, I mean, he's going to have some money to be made playing basketball. There's there's no doubt somewhere. I, I will say this, too. You know, we were talking about Boilermaker fans, Jake, wanting to run, you know, Matt Painter out of town after that loss. It's not going to take much to run a lot of these guys out of town. Like, it's weird. You see Rick Pitino take that St. John's job, and what is he, like 175 years old, and he signed for six years. A lot of these guys, this NIL and this transfer portal, 
enough is enough. And it's going to, I think, be an easy decision for some of these guys to make to disassociate with the head coaching ranks or the coaching ranks in college basketball and it never has been because there is so much of a consistent headache to deal with. And those two things, when it's the Wild West as it is right now and there are no guardrails, I think makes a decision. I'm not going to suggest it's easy for anybody, but it makes it feasible now more than ever to just go ahead and step away from it, get out of it. So allow me to ask you this, John. Yep. Which guy do you think should be more immediate in terms of looking through and sifting the, the transfer portal for incoming prospects? Matt Painter or Mike Woodson? Well, from sheer numbers, it's Mike. Exactly. Woodson, right? But it is, it is for help with what you were clearly lacking when it really mattered. Matt's got to find some quick, slick, guard play somewhere and whether or not you know maybe maybe uh, roosevelt colvin's kid miles can help uh coming out of high school i mean if, if it's for a spot or two it's matt considering where they're going to be ranked going into next year but if if it's for sheer numbers and to make sure you don't take uh, many steps back it's going to be mike and i think that you know Purdue thought they were going to get nigel pack i think i think they truly did think he was gonna be on the roster this year who who knows what a difference that would have made you know, the reality is just based on the law of averages, both of them are going to have somebody enter the transfer portal. In Indiana's case, I think it could be more than one person. I mean, if Malik Renew, you would think, looks at it and goes, okay, I'm going to stay because the guys that played in front of me are, are gone. But, you know, Geronimo, Banks, Bates for that matter, DJ Gunn, I mean, I think all those guys look at it, and that's not a knock on or an indictment on them or anybody from Purdue either. That's just the reality of today's college basketball, right? I mean, it's it's free agency 101, it's NIL, let's see what's yep. out there, and, and let's yep. go. So, yep. I think there could be a big turnover. And in your snap, way, your, your snap reactions or snap judgments after a bad game or not getting run or not getting to play enough throughout the portion of the season, all that is is right there in making a snap decision and jumping into that portal immediately. It's so easy to do. What do you got? I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I apologize because I've been doing a bunch of stuff this afternoon and did not get a chance to look. I think they went into overtime. What happened to your trees today? They lost. Like 88, 89 to 88 or something. They they don't want to guard. They don't want to guard. They score, but it's like a big pickup game to them. But, John, I'll (laughs) tell you what. For Indiana State, you know, that – and we can kind of giggle or whatever at the CBI tournament. Look, that, I think that's good for them. Got to keep playing. To go, to go in and keep playing and keep yeah. getting their practice. I mean, I think all told they had a decent year. And, I, and I'm and i actually – I they exceeded my expectation going in, and and I'm fairly intrigued by what they can do next year. Yeah. They, um, they just – not only can they not guard anybody, they really don't have much um, – they don't, they don't really want to guard – <laughs> like they don't have much of a motivation to want a car, so that's problematic anyway. So they're basically you playing pickup. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If 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 they stood out by the hash mark and watched other people do stuff, that would be me. Yeah, yeah. That's it's pretty close though, not too far away. All right, man. I appreciate you as always. All right, good talking to you.